Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. All right, you guys. All right, all you wanderers in the sanctuary. It's time for you to get into your desert seats. Nobody's listening. It's so interesting to me that we always complain about greeting time. I hate greeting time. There's even this thing on uh, Facebook and TikTok, I don't know if you've seen it, about this guy saying all the things that uh, he wishes were true about church and aren't. Like at the beginning he says, I wish my pastor had longer than 30 minutes to teach. It's so great, I just want to hear him go on and on. And then he says other things that aren't true. One of the things he says is that he loves greeting time because it isn't true. But every time we ask you guys to sit down after greeting time, you don't. So I just want you to consider that actually in your heart of hearts, you love greeting time. (laughs) Just think about it. Think about it. You notice when someone said, stop it, sit down, you just went, talk to the hand, girl. I'm, I'm chatting, and I'm having a really good time. If you don't know me, my name is Trouble. And that, no. <laughs> my name is Barbara Sinoski, and um, wow, you are all my family. I've had the, uh, the privilege, the blessing, and the headaches <laughs> of being a part of this church for a lot of years, and I am a retired, uh, kind of, but I'm not retiring. How's that? Um, I'm an Enneagram 8, in case you weren't sure. And I just had a really long intro. They're trying to remind me that I'm supposed to be inviting the elders up, but I knew that. Just for a moment, I wanted to be about me. So it is my distinct pleasure to invite the elders to come forward. And now they're going to do that. Yeah, we're going to invite all those that are elders and elderish to come forward. And they have some really fun stuff, you guys. Good morning, family. We are here with you and with Pastor Barb um, to show some love, some much, much uh, needed recognition and respect and all the things, if I could say, over the last four years, five years that you served. Um. Oh, it felt like a lot longer, I'm sure. <laughs> um, um, we we want to honor Catherine today as she has um, stepped down um, as uh, an elder, as the president um, of the elder board. Um, we want to invite Catherine to come up so that we can honor her. Grace under pressure is what I would describe her as. carried us through a, a seat quite a season um not not even just the pandemic but all the things that we have been through over the last four years uh she led and um guided this team and the team before uh, because many of us are new right um but uh, we just wanted to honor you 
uh, with a couple gifts and I ask that you open them because they are significant and they are um, indicative of your time. Sorry, I, I like wrapping paper. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this one here, be careful when you take it out, is a symbol of your time on the elder board. Um, just, you held us together, and um, so we just wanted to honor your time on the board. And it'll go great in your office. <laughs> she also loaned us her office uh, to hold our meetings, which was, it's a beautiful space. I'll hold this one. Oh, there you go. And you can hold that one, sure. Open that one up. This is um, just a reminder that wherever God sends you, he'll be right there with you. Not leaving us at all, not leaving us at all, just to just, but you never know where God is sending you in, in the spaces of serving. This is um, a song called Where He Leads Me. It's from the album My Utmost for His Highest, and in, there's a QR code so you can play the song at any time, and you can also display this in your office. That's so, beautiful. so thank you, Catherine, for your time. Thank you. It was um, a huge growing experience and something that I'm grateful for. And um, yeah, so thank you for the opportunity. And I really do love my church. So thank you. Like she said, she's not going anywhere. She's going to stay here. We just got to figure out where else to plug her in after a little while. Let's give her some time to rest, though. <laughs> yes. I think we're good. Yes. The floor is yours, madame. Catherine is a personal friend of mine. And um, I just want to testify to her wisdom, her gentle spirit, her kindness, her um, continually going again, never giving up. She has dogged determinism to um, offer the things of God and the Holy Spirit to everyone. So she's an amazing therapist, and uh, I'm so honored to call you friend. And I'm glad you get to stop <laughs> in this moment. So uh, you guys, if you were here last week, I was the teacher last week as well. And, um, you know, I was kind of crazy last week. This week I'm going to be much more, I have more sobriety today. Don't take that the wrong way. Um, but one of the things that I did that I really, well, there's a couple things I did that I regretted. <laughs> but the one that I felt really I needed to explain to you is I kind of threw my Bible on the floor after saying that I had brought it in honor of Ryan. Um, yes, uh, last, yesterday. Last week I had my Catholic Bible. Today I have the Bible that I love the most. This is the one I'm currently reading for my, you know, edification and studying. This is the Voice Bible. Um, we live in a country where we are able to access so many Bibles. 
I have a whole stack of them at my house. I'll push one away because I don't want to read that translation in that minute. And I just wanted to let you guys know that even though I threw that Bible on the floor, I honor the Word of God. And I think that that's a hallmark of this community, that in the midst of all changes and ways that we move forward and sideways and around, we do that with the knowledge that to the best of our ability as human beings, we are following after the wind of the Holy Spirit and the heart of God. And we do that because we seek to be in the word always and in everything, and we pray. And trust that God has a lot of things to say to us. So forgive me if you felt like, how rude, she threw that Bible on the ground. Um, I might do it again, so forgive me in advance for you never know what's coming next. But let's, let's go back to this series that we're in of wandering and wonder. And um, we looked at some of the old scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures last week and the week before and the week before. But today I'm going to take us to 1 Peter because this is really important. This is what, this is what Peter, the rock upon which was built the church. This is what he says to the church. I, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the exiles, to the church, the exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen and destined by God the Father and sanctified by the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in abundance. That's how he begins the book of 1 Peter. So... Exile isn't something that we find in the Old Testament. It actually, you can actually intimate it from the trajectory of the entire story of God that we find in Scripture. We are called to be exiles, and we become exiles. Last week I talked about we choose our exileship or we're forced into it. But when we say yes to Jesus Christ, we choose to become exiles all the days of our life because our home, our true home, is heaven. Yeah? So let's consider that. But all the time we're here, we wander. Even if we live in the same house, apartment, condominium, hotel, all the days of our lives, we are wanderers. I'm going to read a quote from uh, Henry Now and Now. Um, The state of the world suggests to me the urgent need for a spirituality that takes the end of things very seriously. Not a spirituality of withdrawal, nor of blindness to the powers of the world, but a spirituality that allows us to live in this world without belonging to it. A spirituality that allows us to take the joy and peace of the divine life, even when we are surrounded by the powers and principalities of evil, death, and destruction. I wonder if a spirituality of liberation does not need to be deepened by a spirituality of exile or captivity. Henry Nouwen. We're living in a crazy world, people. An angry world, a cruel world, a confusing world, a world where 
even little t truth is too big <laughs> for a lot of the garbage that we find in all different arenas. If you were to ask me about my politics, you didn't, but I'm going to tell you, I, I don't think I have any. I, I mean, I probably do, but as far as am I a conservative or am I a liberal? Am I a Republican or a Democrat? No. Am I an independent? I don't think I'm that either. I don't know. I just, I, I, don't, I don't know where I find myself. I wish it would all just go away because it hurts. It hurts us as a country. It hurts us as people. It hurts this exile heart of mine. Last week I said that wandering in the desert, the wilderness, is where we find ourselves and where we find God. We become free in the desert, unencumbered. Free for what is the question of the day. What are we free for? There was an old uh, book written by the Boston Health Collective. It's called Free to Be You and Me. And I just want to speak that over us this morning. That's what we're free for. We are free to be ourselves, unique. 75 people in this room, 80 maybe. 80 different, beautiful representations of God's goodness. Each one of us created by God, known intimately by the Creator. We're free to be ourselves. So I guess I wanted to begin, I don't, I don't know. I want to begin by telling my story. Um, which many of you, you've heard so many pieces of my story. This may be a, uh, something that you've heard before, but uh, probably time flies. Six years ago now, I did a week retreat in Union, Washington called Recovery Week. And it was uh, put on by the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology the, and the Allender Center that comes out of that. And it, the week was all about sexual abuse and you entered it because you were wanting to deal with your own sexual abuse. Now, I know you guys, most of you guys already know that about me. At that time, like six years ago, I had already been doing a lot of work. I had spent time in therapy. I had been leading at Long Beach Christian Fellowship um, several, at that season, several books called The Wounded Heart, also by Dan Allender, that had to do with sexual abuse. I was leading those. You know, I kind of had it tucked. I had this, you know, I was good. I had the story. I was very open about it. It was really easy for me to share the story. Um, I didn't think it really affected my life much. And then I went to Union, Washington. <laughs> and uh, what happened there for me I'm going to tell you, is only attributable to God. In that place in Union, Washington, the drone of my authenticity, the hovering of 20,000 feet over my own story, that distance that allowed me to tell anyone everything with candor, with truth, not with feeling. Now with my heart. And what happened for me at that time is that I crashed. I crashed big time. I wasn't aware I was going to crash. But what I was very aware of from the moment I crashed was that I was in the wilderness. 
that I was in the desert, that nothing felt good, and I wasn't really sure if I was going to make it out alive. In five days, I probably cried enough to fill a kiddie pool with tears. I mean, um, it's a lot, a lot of tears. And um, in this crazy way, when I found myself in that desert place and in that wilderness, I, I felt like God gave me permission to mourn, to be with the girl in a way that I had never been able to be before because I had spent... I mean, I, I come from a lot of shame in my background for many other reasons. I want to stay with this story um, because this particular story cemented for me the default of the computer of this human being which, which said that I am bad. Everything about me is bad. So I spent then a lot of years from the time I was 12 finding ways to be seen as good. I needed to be fixed, because when something's bad, you got to do all kinds of things with it. Fixing wasn't always, <laughs> wasn't, wasn't always with good things either. There was a lot of fixing that was bad decisions that I made along the way. Um, but I kept working at it, working at it, working at it, and I had like this little checklist in my, in my head and in my heart that I wasn't even aware of, like, get a decent job, get married, um, you know, all, just all these things that I wanted to check off, look good in a suit, wear high heels to work, become a banker, do all these things that made me legitimate good on the outside. And all that time I was wondering, by the way, I just didn't realize it till I came to Union, Washington six years ago. All that time I was wandering. All that time God was wandering with me even when I wasn't acknowledging him. Uh, one of the things, that when John and I first got married, one of the things that he said to me is, um, I don't know, you, you, yeah, I don't like your banker persona. I thought that was good. <laughs> but I've worked really hard to have this banker persona. I wish you liked it a little bit more. But then marrying him just became another quest for goodness. Now I had to be a good wife and a good mom. And I had to submit to my husband because I was going to that kind of church in those days. And he had to be the head of my household. He didn't, he wanted, I wanted him to be like the spiritual head of my household. And I can remember taking him through our house to pray in all the kids' rooms and all this stuff, which wasn't, it's not who he is. It's not, well, he is a prayer warrior, but in, in a different way. He's much better being a partner <laughs> than he is being the leader. He is the one who comes alongside and allows me to be fully me, too. So, so much craziness in trying to be good in fixing myself. And in Union, Washington, six years ago, I had to lay, lay it down. I had to come to the decision that I was God's child. And I didn't even need to be good to be that. <laughs> but somehow in the process of allowing myself to be loved, such goodness has come into my life. But in those six years, there's also been so much freedom. 
and I am so much freer to be myself. I'm, I'm a wild woman. Some of you already know that about me. <laughs> I started out when I didn't introduce the elders <laughs> by saying that I was trouble. Yeah, I am trouble. I get in trouble. It's, it's okay. Um, I told you I'm an Enneagram 8. I used to think I was a 2 because I wanted to be a 2 because if you're a good Christian woman, you're a 2 because then you're a helper and you just want everybody to love each other. But I'm an 8. I'm a pain in the ass. I'm a maverick. I am a stirrer up of things. I pound my fist and I drink wine at the end of the day. And I do all these things that might not be seen as good in the eyes of even a lot of people in the church, but, but they're me. And I feel like I've been in this journey of being unfixed. I tried to fix myself. I, I tried to let Christianity fix me. But what God has been saying to me for the past six years is, who are you? You know, do you realize that uh, when you're a pastor that swears, that, uh, that just makes me want to hug you? Um, that I don't despise you. Why am I saying all of this? Not to disparage myself, but to, under, to, to undergird each of you in your quest, in your wanderings, in your desires and your longings to become fully who you are not who your parents, your teachers, your pastors have told you you need to be because that isn't who God created. God created you. I'm going to go into my notes because I could have chosen a lot of contemporary people to talk about this, but I chose some Flemish mystics. What do you think about that? One male, one female, kind of cool. Very strange names, just wail you here. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he read from the scroll of Isaiah. He read, freedom for the captive. The freedom or liberation for which Jesus came involved an ongoing journey. I've said this before, but the very first VBS I ever did was called, I'm on an amazing journey with Jesus Christ. Could we see our deserts, our wilderness places as that? We're on an amazing journey with Jesus Christ, always, no matter how much it hurts. Damn. The journey includes stumblings, setbacks, wrong turns, but it is also leading us to a place where the grace of God seeps deeper and deeper into our lives, and it shows itself in our ability to love God, to love ourselves, and to love our neighbors. I'm going to say that that's the magic of the desert, the magic of the wilderness, is it assuages our loneliness. And I'm just going to say that everybody in this room is lonely, because I know I am. And part, part of the time I really hate my loneliness, and another part of the time I'm aware that I long for the things of God, I long for heaven, I long for my true home and that it's really okay. As we wander with curiosity, we find ourselves free to love because um, 
because when I was in that desert six years ago, I, I probably have been in the desert ever since. First of all, I came home and um, I was one who really always needed to know that John loved me and my, um, my barometer for that was, did he want to have sex with me? So before I went anywhere, we'd have to have sex. And when I came back, we'd have to have sex. Because, like, that made me feel, this is, the, this, is, this is the cricket me. It made me feel wanted, desired, and it made me feel loved because of the, my own crazy story. Well, when I came home from Union, Washington, I didn't want that for the very first, for the very first time in our relationship, I think. I did not, I did not want that. I still felt I needed it, a part of me felt that. And I really started to destabilize our relationship. But there's something about shaking. There's something about falling down in the wilderness and cutting yourself and screaming at spiders that um, is healing. What I knew when I did not want my husband to have sex with me and vice versa, me with him, was that love looked so much different than I thought it did. I'm not saying I don't like sex. <laughs> and maybe that's a teaching for another Sunday. <laughs> but what I'm saying is the, the value I gave it changed in that moment. And it was very, very important for what God was doing in me and really in our home. So um, for the past six years, uh, there's been a lot of wrestling, a lot of, um, yeah, disturbance in our relationship, a lot of story work. Uh, and I, I am more and more in touch with myself. And that actually makes me love my husband more, and it makes me, one of the things I've told you this before, it's really hard for me is to believe that he loves me. It's easier now than it used to be. I'm not, you know, it's the journey of a lifetime, hear that, but it's easier now than it used to be. When we wander, we are unencumbered by the stuff that usually weighs on us. We find ourselves in the abyss of love. There's a saying by Tolkien in The Lord of the Rings, all those who wander are not lost. I would add to that another saying, all those that choose to wander will find themselves free, found, and loved. So the desert wilderness wanderings allow us to question and examine the bondage, the oppression, the Egypt that lives within us to ask our held captive. Jesus spent 40 years, 40 days. He only spent 40 days <laughs> in the wilderness dealing with his own inner voices, tempting him into his own bondage. He, set, he got out of the desert wilderness with a sense of inner freedom, and freedom isn't just a matter of being free from something. It also involves being free for or to something, like I've shared. Jesus was free for the kingdom of God. He was free to love. And because he had that clarity, he could turn his back on Egypt. 
He could turn his back on the oppressors. And he could live in Babylon, Rome, without being caught up in Babylon. And if we can't get clear about what our freedom is for, if it's for nothing other than to indulge our own egos, then we will find ourselves with a whole bunch of Egypts running around inside of us. And we will lose what I really think we wander for, and ultimately we wander for love. In the book, listen to this title, this is amazing. The Insurmountable Darkness of Love by Douglas Christie. He speaks of the desert wilderness wanderings as the place where community, intimacy, and love are rekindled. He calls the desert the abyss of love, the place where the uncontrol... These are quotation marks from the book. The uncontrollable wildness of love flourishes. That language appeals to this wanderer. The uncontrollable wildness of love flourishes in the desert. Now here, Jan von Rusbroek, Flemish, Dutch, mystic, 1231 to like 13, I don't know, 1340-something, calls the Trinitarian Godhead a dark stillness and a wild desert. That's how he described God. And he called our essence as human beings a wild waste desert wherein God lives. We share our deserts with God. And we humans are endlessly, endlessly expansive, endlessly open if we choose to be. And each and every one of us is wild, even if you are a two. And this desert, wilderness, wandering love frees us from our illusionary self-sufficiency and our ego identity of having to be good. Our belovedness and our love comes to fruition in an endless, ineffable, expansive desert. Huh. Let's see if I read that right. Which means that we can follow love and get out of ourselves into community and common life. Now we're back to love of neighbor. What if the desert is actually the place where we find community? Have you ever met someone, I don't know, at a dinner party that a friend had? And you thought, ooh, I really like this person. And you're talking to them and you're thinking, I don't have a lot of connection with them. And then they have that third glass of wine. And suddenly they're a little looser than they might be. They start telling you their story. They start telling you about the things that have happened in their life that have been really hard. And you are suddenly so connected to them. Because it's not our beauty that attracts us to one another. It's our woundedness that makes us beautiful as human beings. We are not I mean, we may initially be attracted by whatever the world calls beauty in that moment, but I'm more of a Boccacelli than I am a Twiggy. Is that, is that the name of that guy that drew those really very curvy women? Anyway, 
But, I mean, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, but beauty is always there when we know each other's story. It's always there. Beauty has to happen. One of my very good friends in another season of my life, I was so excited to introduce my husband to her because, and I, I lined her up for him. She is the most beautiful woman I know. Just wait till you see her. She radiates. She's so beautiful. And then he met her, and he, when we left, he said, she's not that beautiful. But I knew her. I knew her story. I knew her heart. I knew her wounded places. I knew what she longed for. And she was gorgeous. Like we each are. Like we each are. So the common life that we can find in the desert. That love of neighbor. That common life that allows for no separation between us or among us. And it does not allow us to ignore or remain unaware of the lives and needs of others. We are never alone in the desert. We never have been and we never will be. Now, here's another quote from a female. Her name is Hadjevich. In this wild, wide oneness, the poor in spirit live united. That's who we all are if we're willing to be. If we're willing not to enter the desert, because I would say we've entered, but if we're willing to share the deserts, the wilderness places that we find ourselves in with one another. Even as the exile, estranged from this place and this culture, in the desert, I am at home. I am part of a community that is constantly emerging. That's who we are at LBCF. We're constantly emerging. We're changing things up because we believe that's what the Holy Spirit desires and wants from us. Because we felt the blow of the desert wind saying, yeah, widen that table, get more chairs. Learning to be present to others, listening carefully and deeply to their stories, opening ourselves to the beauty complexity, and the pain of our lives. Paying attention, making space, leaving room, entering the desert wilderness of community. How far does our freedom go? I'm free to be me. Are you free to be you? Are we free to be us together? It is love indeed that lets us wander. Again, Hajevich of Antwerp, the female mystic, says it closes the distance, wandering, closes the distance between God and our soul. It is better to wander. She goes on to say that love and community is what love wants to create within us, a deepened capacity to stand with others, especially the lost and forsaken, in a simple, compassionate embrace. And we can only learn and practice that if we're willing to be exiles and wanderers. I have an invitation for us to become children. As Jesus said, let the children come to me. What do children do really well? They ask questions. Caitlin Curtis, in her book Living Resistance, because I think exiles are always meant to be resistors, 
she invites her readers, us, to ask questions. Questions like, and I wrote these questions, but, um, and by the way, questions are not about having the answers. They're just about asking the question. They're about the wondering part of wondering. What does it mean for this exile as I am wandering and finding myself in the desert wilderness to live well? I think it's to continually give myself over to my own story to allow the feelings, the pain, the laughter, the confusion of my stories to live in me openly and outwardly to where the people that I encounter get to see me feel them. And may that be, make that a connection point for us as we are together. My next question is, how does my living well honor and show my love of neighbor? I want to be in community. I already said that we were lonely. We want community. What did Jesus really mean when he said that it was for freedom? He has set us free. Especially since I keep telling you guys you're exiles. What is your freedom for? Okay, look at this. Look at this. If we are willing to accept that we are exiles, freed from both Egypt and Babylon, it creates a homecoming in which no one is any longer a stranger to the other. Jesus is with us. We are together in the desert wilderness of life, of Babylon, of Egypt, of Long Beach, of California, of the United States of America. Exiles. And I'm going to say something that sounds political, because it probably is. But America is not the chosen nation. All nations are chosen by God. All people are chosen by God. It's just that as we continue on our way towards the end where there will be shalom and where Jerusalem will become the city again and Christ will return, it's only as we are in that process, we all just don't know yet. Okay, I'm going to end now with communion. I'm inviting all of the exiles and wanderers to come forward and receive the spiritual body and blood of Jesus Christ, just like he asks us to do. But he asks us because he knows that we need to be sustained by the knowledge that we are his beloved, even as we wander and journey and live like him in a strange land, a place where we get to respond to being loved by him, by loving our neighbors. And I'm going to quote again, this is from Caitlin Curtis's book, you are a human being. You are always arriving. Notice how that plays into journey. The timeline of your life is not a straight line after all. It is a series of ebbs and flows, backs and forths, here's and there's. You are nowhere and everywhere all at once. And that means that most of the time, the best you can do is to be present to the moment 
open to the unlearning and the learning and trust that you are doing the work of love in the desert, in the wilderness. Repeat after me, I am a human being. I am always arriving. Amen. And after you come forward and you receive communion, you're going to go, you're going to receive bitter herbs, and then you're going to receive communion. There's prayer right there. Maybe today's the day that you will step into the wilderness of your heart and ask for prayer. It is available. Amen. Thank you so much for having me.